Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast for parents about common child health concerns. I'm Dr. Lexi Frydenberg, paediatrician and your host for today, and I'm joined by my good friend and paediatrician, Dr. Margie Danchen. Welcome, Margie. Thanks, Lex. Today, we're talking about common rashes we see in children, most of which are not accompanied by a virus or an infection, and these include common skin conditions such as eczema, molluscum or hives. We're also going to talk about those rashes that do occur in kids who have an infection or virus, and today we're lucky enough to be joined by Dr. David Orchard, who's the Head of Dermatology at RCH. Thanks so much for joining us, David. Thank you for having me. From the Royal Children's Hospital, Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. Okay, so let's start by discussing a few skin conditions that usually occur when a child is well and when they don't have a fever or an illness. And probably the most common one we see in children is eczema. So one in five children get eczema at some point in their life. Um, And they often come to see their GP and they may come to a paediatrician or a dermatologist. Could you start by describing to us um, how parents can recognise their child might have eczema and how it presents differently in different age groups? I suppose it's worthwhile considering eczema, I think, as more of a process in the skin rather than a disease as such, and that we can all get eczema. Um, It's a threshold thing that if you insult and irritate the skin enough, uh, you can cause it starting to break down, become inflamed, and and really that's the process of eczema. So for a lot of people, their skin's fairly resilient. They get through their life without having to care for it, but a lot of people have sensitive skin and, and it doesn't take much to create eczema. Um, but it can, depending on which part of the body it's in and its intensity, it can look a little different. And that uh, in some times when it's very severe, it can get weepy and oozy and crusty. And other times it's more of a dry, red, scaly uh, rash. But uh, most people have no, not too much difficulty in recognising that the skin's a bit irritated. But there is quite a spectrum of how it can, how it can present. And in different age groups, so in babies versus older children, does it look different most of the time? Well, in a way, it looks similar. I suppose the reasons for getting it can be a little different in that we've got babies that dribble and they've got saliva on their face and that's a common trigger, if you like, for expert for a baby. That's not going to be an issue for an older child or an adult. So uh, there's different reasons. But in essence, the actual rash does look much the same. David, what about uh, the role of food allergy? That's something that we get asked quite a lot by parents. Things like dairy, uh, does that sort of trigger eczema? What's your approach to, to that? Well, firstly, I'd like to think that eczema does have triggers, uh, and that's really where it's quite an individual thing. It's not just a condition where we say, oh, here's the expert treatment, and it's uh, one sort of treatment applies for all. Everyone who gets it will have their different reasons for them that are more important than others. It's often the case that there's lots of reasons added up. Uh, and food allergy is one of the triggers, but it is it would be overall considered to be quite an uncommon one, and as a rule would be more of an issue for babies than any other time of uh, the child's life. So with food, as a rule, if you've had a food at any stage in your life and you haven't had eczema, uh, later on that's not that food's not going to be contributing. So if you're a four-year-old and you're getting some eczema, but your first three years of life were clear, then all those foods that you had in the first three years of life would not be considered to be relevant with regards to the eczema. There's lots of other reasons other than food, and, and it is a focus that um, many people get caught on uh, when, the, when there's other factors that, that are more relevant. Um, but in, in saying that, there are some babies in particular where it's the number one driving factor and has to be addressed. So apart from the food allergies, which are an uncommon trigger, what are the other common triggers you look for or you really speak to families about? 
Well, the approach is you have to try to look at ticking all the boxes, if you like, and, and looking at all the triggers. Then in time, you get a bit of a feel for the child that's skin and, and you, you sort of get a realisation of to which of the ones are more important. But we'd say that dryness of the skin is a trigger and it's a trigger for a lot of people. Uh, it's often worse in the low humid times of the year, such as the winter. If you've ever had eczema and you've been on holidays to somewhere tropical and it's got better, that's an indication that uh, dryness is, is quite a, a trigger. So it's best to moisturise the skin. We know um, overheating is a trigger, so particularly if you, the eczema is breaking out in the hot zones and the folds of the skin, at, at times if you get getting too hot and, and sweating, and the sweat irritates the skin. And, and there is quite a tendency to overdress and uh, overwrap babies uh, and from that perspective if they're breaking out in the hot zones you have to be wondering if they're overheated and a lot of kids uh, uh, run very hot you know you get kids that are happy to be you know, wearing t-shirts and shorts throughout winter when every, all the adults are in, in uh, jumpers and coats and that's just the way they, they roll. Because as parents we often say to them you cannot go outside without a jumper and they say my kids always say but I'm really hot and yeah. you know there is, there we is some We often overdress them don't we? Yeah. For babies I always say to the mums mum's in charge of fashion but dad's in charge of liars. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a good line. So they're the triggers the common triggers yeah. overheating and dryness of the skin yeah. as well as occasionally yeah. food. And as well as that, there'd be irritation, so saliva on the face of a baby, soaps, bubble baths, shampoo in the bath, all can irritate. Um, some fabrics more irritating than others. Anything that feels a bit prickly, like wool, so woolen beanies, woolen scarves, jumpers, and can contribute to irritation. In a way, a nappy rash really is an irritation causing eczema. There's lots of factors depending on which part of the body. David, what's your approach to treatment then? So we understand and we can look for those, you know, those triggers, and then what's the next step? Well, the next step is that you do have to settle it down once it's there. So you've got all these different triggers that add up and for and for different people there's different reasons and for older kids there's also you know, dust and grass, pollen allergy and things like that. So there's a whole lot of factors that get it going. Once it's going though, eczema notoriously can escalate out of control all by itself. Uh, and the, the reason for that is that once the barrier of the skin is disturbed and you have an active rash, uh, the skin then uh, is more sensitive. Little things that wouldn't normally bother it start to bother it. If it's itchy and they scratch it, that makes it worse. It can get infected, that can make it worse. So the whole thing can get out of control. So very important to settle it down. And the simplest, safest and best way to settle it down is with topical steroid ointments. Uh, unfortunately, they around the in society have a particularly bad rap when they shouldn't. They're really quite safe things to use. Yeah, a lot of parents are very concerned about using topical steroid. Yeah, not only parents, but pharmacists and even some general practitioners. And it's important to see that they're not, it's not the only thing that you're doing with an expert treatment. So if you're just using topical steroids, but you're not addressing the triggers, you won't get success. But if you're just trying to find triggers and you're not going to settle it down because of this vicious cycle of expert, it will get out of control, you won't win either. So it's important to do both aspects and you can generally use them very safely. Oh, they're much safer than they than the... Most people think they are. They don't cause skin thinning, uh, which is the, probably the biggest thing that people think that's going to happen, and, but it doesn't actually happen ever. Uh, so, And some that, people are worried about discoloration. So in different coloured um, skin, does do the topical creams, the steroid creams we're talking about, discolour the skin or cause permanent discoloration? Discoloration that most people with olive skin see is actually from the eczema itself. Yeah. Now, the topical steroids take away the redness of the eczema because they take away the inflammation and you're left with what is really like a pale footprint often of where the eczema has been and that's caused by the inflammation of the eczema itself. It's only temporary so you don't have to worry about colour. Okay and um, 
If eczema is infected, so if it's quite significant, the child's incredibly itchy, it's weepy. What's the role of antibiotics or bleach bars, which is a, a sort of another method that we often talk about with families? If you fall and graze yourself, it, most of the time it just heals up, but sometimes it gets infected and it gets complicated and you need to get that treated. So sometimes with eczema, the same thing happens. It gets scabby or pussy or mucky looking and you need antibiotics. Uh, because we know that the role of bacteria um, does complicate the process of eczema. The bleach bars, which do, is another thing that freaks people out at times, um, is... Yeah, I was just about to yeah, ask you about those. Yeah, is, is something that we do see, but it's more of a prevention thing rather than an active treatment thing, and that we do know that for some children, the, the bacteria on the skin does play a very significant role in perpetrating the eczema, uh, and if you put the right amount of bleach in the bath, um, it can't be nothing and it can't be too much because it can irritate, but it doesn't tend to bleach skin or hair, um, it doesn't tend to bleach your towels. It just it, sounds a bit bit scary. I think, you know, often we, I find myself reassuring parents it's just like swimming in a pool. It is. Uh, you know, it's no more, it just sounds really quite confronting to say, put your child in a bleach bath. The concentrations that are recommended, and they're on the Children's Hospital website, you consider it to be an antiseptic, but it doesn't irritate. A lot of other antiseptics will irritate the skin, therefore they become counterproductive. So it's it seems to be a cheap, simple, easy way once you've measured up the right concentration uh, to, to help with that infection part. Right, so we'll link that in our show notes um, and we'll have some information about exactly how much bleach you need to put in the <laughs> yes. bath um, on the RCH Kids Health Info webpage. So we might move on to another skin condition that's very, very common, also not associated with um, an active fever or infection in most cases, and that's molluscum. Could you try and describe to parents what molluscum typically looks like? It's a virus and it's a skin virus only, so it doesn't get inside the body in any way, shape or form, so there's no fever associated or anything like that. The virus actually gets into the skin and creates its own little shell on the skin, so you end up with a little bump like a, a hemisphere, a little little dome in the skin, and it's got a little bit of a divot in the top of it. It's so, a bit like a whitehead pimple to me. Yeah, yeah and, and it will be quite a regional thing, so that they'll start in one area, and because they spread from the outside to neighbouring areas of skin, you usually get certain zones which where you have quite a number of them. I was uh, going to say, kids can actually get quite a crop of molluscum. Yep. It's highly variable in, in how extensive and how long it's going to last, and that... I suppose we, we know we're very familiar with the phenomenon when a cough or a cold gets into a household, some people get nothing, some people get a sniffle and some people are in bed with a fever, with all with the same exposure. And it's the same with molluscum in that once you've got it, um, some kids will have one or two tiny spots they didn't even know they had and they're over it within weeks and others can have hundreds and it can last for a couple of years. And so it's just how we all individually deal with viruses. And David, why do kids tend to get it and not adults? Um, well, once you've had it, you don't get it again. So most adults are immune, um, and so it's a little bit like how chickenpox used to be, uh, in that um, once you just had to get it, be done with it, and then you're over it and you're immune, and therefore they don't get it again. But you, like with chickenpox, you do see occasional adult cases. Okay. And we talk about some um, skin conditions being infectious or contagious, and we know this is due to a virus. Is molluscum contagious and do um, parents have to keep their child home or prevent them doing certain things if they've got crops of molluscum? Well, it, technically it is contagious. It's not contagious like a cough or a cold where, where you're coughing and splattering it all over everyone else. It's contagious it's not if you're... not droplet spread. <laughs> not droplet spread. If you're in a, you know, sharing a bath, sharing a towel, very close contact like uh, that, it is... Uh, contagious to other siblings 
Um, and it, it does spread via water, and, and most people pick it up from public swimming pools, but it is literally in every public swimming pool. And, Dave, the Victorian Department of Health guidelines actually say if you do go to a public swimming pool, it's best just to cover them up with waterproof dressings. It's so common. It's something we live with. It doesn't usually cause them any problems or significant problems. It can be quite problems. distressing, though. Like, kids can get very bothered by it. Yeah, so I think most of the time, uh, many children just have a few crops and it doesn't bother them. But as you said, Maggie, it can be distressing um, to some children. But still, in most cases, we let kids just go on with their normal life, go to school, go to swim, etc. Well, sometimes it can actually be on the face or on the lip or in some sort of awkward places. Yeah, thankfully, mostly it's in covered zones. So most kids will have a limited crop. It doesn't bother them physically too much. They're often young enough that they don't care about the cosmetics of it. So the, the right treatment for most is to let it do its thing and it will come and it will pass. It, it can be complicated, not only cosmetically, it, it, when it gets more extensive in more exposed areas in, in slightly older children, but it can be complicated by the irritating the skin. So it will actually, if you like, be an eczema trigger. It will actually cause some irritation uh, in the skin around it and cause some eczema. Um, it also, they can get a secondary bacterial infection. So sometimes they can get hot and red and tender and, and like, a, like an abscess essentially. So that, that's so that they can actually sometimes have medical issues, but uh, for the majority, no treatment is necessary. Okay. And if parents do want to try something um, at home, what recommendations do you have? Is there anything that they can do to try and you know, decrease the number or amount of molluscum their child has? Well, I suppose limiting spread by um, if the child's amenable to having showers rather than baths, that will limit because once you've got it on your skin, uh, the baths, you're in danger to yourself in the bath too and it can spread <laughs> to other areas there. in a small body of water. So uh, a shower rather than bath to limit spread. If the child's old enough, you can physically try to get rid of a certain molluscum. So you can do that with a, with a firm tape that you can put on and off and the tape will hopefully disrupt the surface, but that can irritate the skin further, of course. Um, if they're old enough to you know, prick them lightly with needles, um, it's a bit like trying to get a splinter out. You don't have to stab it. Um, you just have to annoy that central little volcano bit at the top that you, you can, and if you can disrupt that bit of skin, um, the, the mask will settle down. Um, there are a few other products that um, that can be applied that generally cause a bit of irritation. Um, and uh, once again, that can be counterproductive if the skin's already irritated. Um, we don't have what we'd like to have as an anti molluscum virus cream that you can put on and, and it just Ooh, kills that the would virus. Be nice. That would be so, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so if they're really troublesome and they're in spots that um, around the eye or around the genitals or, or, or places that really bother the child or are cosmetically difficult, if the child goes and sees their GP, what, what normally happens and do they need to come and see a dermatologist? Well, I think only if it's quite a bother and you have to keep in mind what's bothering the child, not so much the parent, and that sometimes these things bother the parents more than the child and you have to see it from the child's eyes to start with. Most of the times, you'll, if you're going to the GP, they'll reassure you that it's molluscum and you can wait it out. Um, if For those where they are being complicated by irritation or they're quite unsightly, there are there are some treatments uh, for older kids that if you very lightly freeze them, um, that can get rid of them. That stings a little bit. Yeah. So that's uh, there's a limitation in that for younger children. Um, there is a, a, a product that some a lot of dermatologists would have but it's not readily available, called cantharidin, which is a, from a blister beetle, and you can dab it on the spots and it's painless but forms a little blister a few hours later, and, and that can be useful for uh, culling numbers, if you like, uh, so for those where it's complicated. So that can be used, but once again, uh, most don't require that. 
And I think the thing to remember about molluscum is that they can last ages. It's not... It can be know, years. Yes. <laughs> um, but not to get too frustrated as parents because normally the kids are fine about it. Okay, so just to sum up, David, obviously molluscum is caused by a virus. It's very common. We see it mostly in younger children, not in adults. And generally it bothers the parents more than the kids. And for the most part, it doesn't need treatment. You wait it out. But if it does need treatment, things that irritate the molluscum like tape or or some other treatments can be used. Correct. We'll move on to talk about another common condition called hives or urticaria. And once again, this is usually not associated with an illness, but many children get it throughout their lives. Um, So can you tell us what a typical outbreak of hives might look like um, and what are the important things parents need to know when their child has this skin condition? Yeah, it does cause a fair bit of panic hives in that it, it's a it's often a very sudden onset thing, which is a bit scary. Um, but it's a very transient rash in the skin that it moves around. They can have hives as a for quite a long time at, uh, on occasion, but each particular hive that comes up often is very temporary and will only last. It's a very smooth uh, red patch. It doesn't cause any scale, doesn't break the skin, and they come and go so that they'll be broken out all over and then in a couple of hours later there'll be less and then they'll get some some in some other place. Once again, most people don't have too much trouble recognising it. It's the same sort of redness and swelling that you would see around an insect bite, like a, like a mosquito bite, that same sort of redness and elevation. And it can, can be quite variably itchy and that quite a lot of times it's extremely itchy. Generally that itch, that sort of transitory nature and itch, certainly my kids have experienced hives and it can be a bit distressing, more even the appearance uh, more than anything. I suppose the biggest myth about hives is that every people look at it and think it must represent some form of allergy and in fact allergies probably once again a very minority cause of hives. Um, Anything that can stir up the immune system can trigger a a round of hives and so the most common uh, trigger would be a harmless virus infection so that a simple cough or cold which can be a very minor one can trigger quite significant hives and uh, and then once it's triggered it takes days, weeks to settle back down to normal again and during that time they remain quite hivey if you like. I think hives are one of those unusual conditions that come and go in different spots. So I think that's a really important point that you mentioned. The other point about it coming with viruses most commonly, it may not occur actually at the time of the virus. So the virus, the runny nose, sore throat fever might have gone away and the hives can come later. So I think that's what tricks a lot of parents. Yeah, it usually comes towards the end of the infection as the immune system's getting on top of the virus. Um, that's when the hives will come out. And what about other things that can irritate the skin? So washing detergents or uh, other perfumes or creams that the child might have had. Parents often start looking for that needle in the haystack when their child has hives to try and find out what was the trigger in this case. Yeah, well, um, from that perspective, it's, it's, it's usually something internal. So it's quite uncommon to have an external cause for hives. So a contact would be uncommon. Uh, and it can be caused by allergy and saying that that's an uncommon cause. But the the features that would make you suspicious about an allergy would be that it would likely to be something new. So with regards to a food, it should be a new food. It shouldn't be a food that they've had multiple times before. It would usually occur within an hour, definitely, but often within minutes of that consumption. And inevitably, it will start on the face, around the lips, around the eyes, before it then would spread and to other parts of the body. And a bit of swelling too around the eyes. Often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and hives around the lips and eyes. If you do get them there, they cause a lot of panic because there is a lot more swelling there. But that's the same with just be, that's just because of the tension in the skin. We know when we get a bruise 
on our leg, a bruise is a flat thing. A bruise on our lip or our eye is a really big swollen thing. And everyone's happy to say that's just still, still a bruise. But with hives, of course, it's quite dramatic. and Everything people, looks worse on the face. Everyone looks worse, yeah. So yeah. it is still hives. And uh, that does uh, create a lot of panic when it really is just the same process that of all those welts that are occurring elsewhere on the skin. Likewise, with medications, it can come up within the first few days of starting a new medication. So anything that had been commenced within a few days before the the onset of the hives has to be taken into consideration. So what are the sort of important things parents need to look out for? When should they worry if their child has hives? Well, in a way, I sort of say, look, take away the hives and then deal with the child otherwise. And so if you've got a, a, a perfectly point. well child and uh, who's just... Got had a runny nose and broken out with hives. They do not need any medical attention at all. Uh, if they're sick, unwell, uh, if they've got ongoing issues with recurrent fevers and joint aches and that, that sort of process, we know that there are some underlying diseases that hives can be related to that you need to get uh, that investigated further. But uh, the vast majority of kids with hives are well. Uh, and once the skin is has got a breakout, it will take a long time to settle down at times. And, and a breakout the next day or in two days' time doesn't mean something new has triggered it. It just means that the hives are waxing and waning as they're mm. gradually recovering. And, yeah. and David, what are the treatment options if, it, if the child is uncomfortable, it's very itchy? Yeah, the, the best first-line treatment option for the itch aspect is an antihistamine, which uh, and they're safe even given right down to little babies. Um, it's best if you're using it for the itch to have a, one that doesn't make them sleepy. Um, there's many different brands there that you can get over the counter from the chemist um, as syrups and drops as well as uh, tablets for older kids. So uh, we're talking about orals t- taking yeah. something rather than a topical yeah. a cream. The antihistamines as a group, they won't get rid of it. They will make it less itchy and less elevated, but it'll still be there. So for the older kids where the cosmetic aspect of it's a concern, they are, they often aren't quite enough, but um, that, that'd be the simplest, safest first-line treatment. And I think the important things to remember that if your child has hives and you're worried about an allergic reaction, if they have other features that are worrying, such as swelling of the tongue, change in their voice, difficulty breathing, that is a sign that it's not hives alone. There's most likely an allergic type reaction. And in those cases, particularly with difficulty breathing, call an ambulance, go to hospital. So now we're going to move on to um, rashes with infection. So this is probably the most common thing we see or parents see. And this is when a child is unwell, they have a virus and a fever and they come out with a rash. And there is a multitude of different types of viruses that cause rashes and different types of rashes. What do you think it's important for parents to know in general if their child is unwell and gets a rash? What do they need to look for? Uh, Once again, it does come down much more to the overall well-being of the child than the type of the rash and that even for me I can't look at a rash and tell you whether it's measles or uh, German measles or, or a harmless virus or, or anything like that is, is, uh, is that the rashes are very similar looking uh, and they are actually very similar looking to if you have a medication allergy as well and usually just very widespread some bits are flat and some bits are elevated uh, so there's a lot of times the rashes are very non-specific. They don't give you a clue to the underlying illness uh, and they don't generally cause any particular concern either. So they don't add a lot of weight to the severity of the disease. So once again, the most important part is the overall well-being of the child. You know, have they got any energy at all? Are they totally off their food? Are they not taking any fluids? All those sorts of things that you would use your, your intuition to say, my child's really sick on this occasion or my child's just got a harmless virus. Sometimes, of course, there's a fever 
a medication such as an antibiotic and then a rash and you don't know whether it's due to the fever or the antibiotic. It's a tricky situation because the rashes look very similar uh, that when you're reacting to a medication as well yeah, as Yeah, so virus. there's a whole lot of names parents yep. might have heard of, hand, foot and mouth disease, slap cheek disease, roseola, and we'll link some of these um, information about these viruses in our show notes. But really the bottom line is just looking at the rash, you can't tell what virus or what... For other, most. For most. One rash that we should highlight that can be quite serious is the rash associated with meningococcal disease. And that's one that a lot of parents are familiar with. They've seen the pictures of the sort of... Uh, red, purplish rash on the skin that when you touch it doesn't go away or what we say is not a blanching rash. That's a particularly important rash to be aware of. It's caused by a bacterial infection. The consequences of how quick this infection can be and how devastating it is something that people should be aware of. So, uh, And I think the rule, even though there are some other rashes that can cause some bleeding into the skin, as a rule, if you've got an unwell child and there's any part of the rash that looks as though, well, we say it doesn't blanch and that you can put the bottom of a glass on it and try to squash it and it, the, it stays just, red. It stays red. That's uh, a cause of high concern and I don't think anyone would hold it against you to be calling an ambulance and, and getting a Absolutely. child rushing into a hospital. But the child is usually unwell. That, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like the first rule of paediatrics as a junior doctor, you know, the first thing we're taught is look at the child um, and often those kids are very unwell. As you said, with meningococcal disease, uh, you can go to bank very, very unwell in about 12 hours. Yeah, so that's an important one to look out for. There are, of course, lots of other common rashes children get throughout their life, and we have many Kids Health Info fact sheets available, which we'll link to our show notes or on our webpage. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thanks, David. If you enjoyed this episode, please hop onto our Facebook page and let us know what you would like us to talk about in future episodes as we're busily planning season two for next year. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.